Welcome to Conversations at Basecamp. I'm Noah. And I'm Kim. And we're the co-founders of Kihila, a private community that is a digitized and modernized women's resource group. Our content is designed to provide the universal core skills, confidence, and competence needed to advance and lead today and tomorrow. We believe that representation matters. On this podcast, you'll be able to hear some of the amazing conversations we have in our platform with an incredible array of diverse, empowered women. These conversations have inspired our own personal, professional, and financial lives and given us the confidence to step up and show up as our boldest, truest selves. We hope to spark fire in your soul too and help you on your journey to live on purpose and get in the driver's seat of your life. This is Basecamp for Women on the Rise. Join us, step up, and while you're up there, reach down and bring another woman up too. Welcome everybody to today's fireside chat with Wendy John. So how do you build confidence when the path ahead is not clear and do it with intentionality? Wendy John joins us today to discuss how small steps create success in uncharted territory and what she's gained from her challenges and how to elevate the conversation on identity. Wendy John is the head of global diversity inclusion for Fidelity Investments. Wendy assumed her current position in 2020, so just a couple months ago, and is a 23-year Fidelity veteran who served in several key leadership roles across the company. There's a lot more to her bio, so please check that out on the platform. Wendy is also a member of our community. So Wendy, welcome. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here uh, with Kahila. Yes. yes. And you said it perfectly. No, exactly. <laughs> The, the, uh, the cry at the top of the mountain. Yes. The battle cry. The battle cry. So, not the cry, the battle cry. Celebration. The yeah. celebration, exactly. So, Wendy, this is um, a favorite question of ours. We like to start at the beginning because um, it's usually not a straight line to where you are today. It's usually filled with some zigs and zags. Um, but tell us, how did you get to where you are today? The fascinating question, um, which for me is sort of multi-layered. So maybe I'll start at the beginning. Uh, so my parents actually met in uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, my father was there from, he's from Trinidad uh, and was studying accounting. My mother is from Barbados in the Caribbean and she was studying nursing. Uh, they met, they got married, they had my brother. Um, apparently uh, I was conceived there, but by the time I was born, my father had already moved back to Trinidad to build our home and my mother had returned there. So I was born in Trinidad um, in the Caribbean uh, and I lived there until I was, um, you know, just turned to 18 um, and I left to go to Canada to go to university. Uh, and so I had shared, uh, you know, another at the beginning here that uh, one of the gifts that was given to me was by one of my high school teachers, my math teacher. Math was my favorite subject. Um, and she encouraged me to pursue the actuarial profession, which I had not heard about before then. Um, but it gave me a path away from physics. I was good at physics, but I didn't love it. Um, and so this was great. And I chose to go to the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. So about 45 minutes uh, sort of southwest of um, Toronto. And uh, that's where I went to school to get my math undergrad, math degree, uh, in actuarial science. 
And then I, by the time I graduated, I decided that I wanted to be in the United States, not in Canada. Um, and so I went to New York, which is where I had friends. And I just thought of another person who gave me a gift. My high school best friend was in New York. I had sent out my resumes before I uh, came to visit her, but I stayed with her for over you know, several months um, going through the interview process. And as I was waiting for all of you know, the wonderful paperwork you have to go through um, to be able to work in the US as, as an immigrant, uh, and I started in Boston um, you know, at uh, a consulting firm. I, that consulting firm, uh, the person who hired me out of college to that firm actually is at Fidelity. I followed them uh, from my first job to another job, uh, only to find out Fidelity was our main client, and then to find out two weeks later that we were being acquired by Fidelity. So I have a bit of a rare distinction of being one of like 30 people that were part of an acquisition many moons ago to come to Fidelity Investments. And I would be lying if I said that I was like, oh, this is great, uh, because I really had intended to have a, a career at a consulting firm. And so being a consultant in the middle of this large financial services institution wasn't what I had planned. So I thought, you know what, you'll rally for two years. You can do anything for two years, I felt. Um, and here I am, 23 and a half years later, having the opportunity uh, to do several different things, uh, work on a global scale, including uh, spending time in India um, with our teams there. Um, and you know, now on this other phase of the journey, um, you know, what I would say is, you know, when you asked about sort of like, you know, confidence and what got me here, um, when I look in the rearview mirror, it all seems really well calculated and planned out, <laughs> but that is never how it felt in the moment. I think every time that I thought about taking another opportunity, I had to reflect on and build on, okay, well, you know, you've done weird things before, right? You left the country you were in, like... I actually left the high school I was in to go to a, I went to an all girl high school and left that to go to an all male high school for the last two years. Think about that 16 year old girl that hasn't been in a school with boys choosing to go to a school with boys for 16 to 18, very traumatic, um, prepared me for everything else that came my way uh, to be candid, even in corporate America. Um, but I, I had done a few things along the way that really were tests, right? And because I think those outcomes had all for the most part been positive or I'd learned something from it, I think that's how you actually build confidence, right? And it's the confidence from past events that allows you to step forward into uncharted uh, territory. Um, perhaps the, the other thing I just share is I'm a huge fan of the book, The Road Less Traveled. And so perhaps that's part of like that, that might actually be the tagline um, for my journey thus far. So, so. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, that's incredible. I love, I love how you weaved around. Um, we just had a comment that um, Verena loved that book too. So I'm going to switch a little bit. So from your career, what, what have you learned about intentionality and what does that mean to you? So uh, I've learned that intentionality is key to achieving any outcome that you're really invested in. Um, and what I mean by that isn't necessarily, you know, career choices, but it's in how you show up, right? So um, I 
used to talk a fair bit earlier on in my career about brand. I, and I, I probably am sure I, I, these are not my own concepts. I'm pretty sure I attended um, some sessions on personal branding, but it led me to think about every interaction that you have is an opportunity, right? To inform how people think of you or experience you. And if you're not doing that with intentionality, then you can get very quickly off brand, right? Every interaction matters. Um, and so, because you just never know. And my life has proven that like, I don't know, hundreds of times over, um, you know, that, you know, that person I met randomly at an airport or on a flight, like it mattered that I actually like had conversation with them or smiled at them. And, um, and, and maybe it's sort of a weird thing, but now that I'm talking about it, I think maybe some of that came from being like, I was one of eight girls in a school of a thousand boys when I talked about that experience. And what you learn then is everyone is watching you. Like you can't, that scale, right? Like you can't tell what's happening with all of the thousand, but they know where you are at any point in time. And so I just learned to be really um, mindful of how I'm showing up, uh, you know, and, and what am I trying to, what do I want to convey? Right. And getting clear about being on message. Um, that doesn't mean that you're always going to be on message. <laughs> right. And that means also being mindful of like, Oh, you know what? Today is not a great day. Like I am not feeling like a hundred percent. I'm probably not going to show up well. <laughs> so maybe today is a day that I try to do a lot of work on my own. Um, because the other thing that I, I know is clear is once you establish a brand or you establish trust with someone, if you do something that takes away from it, it's like thousand times harder to build back the trust. So you don't want to do that, right? You want to just be very thoughtful about those interactions. Um, and if you do have an interaction that's off brand or off your intention, you want to quickly remedy it. Um, so that it's clear to everyone, like, you know what, that was a fluke. Because I think people are very forgiving in that regard, particularly if 99% of the time you show up as X, if you show up one time as Y, people generally are like, oh, you know, that didn't feel like Wendy. So I'm thinking that something was off and that's okay. Um, but that's what intentionality means to me. It's like really being crystal clear on who you are, what's important to you, and how you want to show up in, you know, not just in the, I'm not talking about in the workplace, because I'm actually really intentional about my friendships as well. Um, and I've prioritized in my life showing up for my friends and my family. And that, that requires intentionality. Totally. Did that um, level of intentionality come from being in what sounds like a bit of a fishbowl when you were, you know, um, one of eight women in a, in a school of all other boys. Um, do you think that that kind of theme of intentionality has been in your life since, since you were a child or is it something that you developed in your professional life? Uh, I don't know. I, I would go off of my parents <laughs> and other stories that I've heard, uh, which is sort of like they said, I came out of the womb sort of knowing who I was and, what I wanted to be um, and, and, and not what I wanted to be in terms of a profession, but I have always been, uh, I think, pretty independent um, and, but, but also very curious um, and both about people, about the world and even about myself. Um, and, and I do think that you have to have periods of time 
um, where you, again, sort of intentionally, but for me, I, I chose periods of time in my life to be reflective, like to just take a pause from different activities. Um, there, I, I have this uh, point in time when I first moved to Boston, I chose not to have a television. And it drove my mother crazy every time she came to visit me. Like, she's like, what do you mean? You don't have a television. I'm like, I just, I had spent, I'm now really going to date myself. But the summer that I was waiting to start working was the summer of the OJ trial. It also, since I was in New York, was also the summer of the Richard Bay show. I mean, you don't need anything more to turn your brain lush than both of those things. And so I just needed a break from television. Um, but what it, what it led me to was I, I spent more time with people and I spent more time with myself um, and just really got very clear um, about, you know, who I was and, what, and how I wanted to show up in different spaces and what was important to me. Mm. So it sounds like intentionality has just is who you are. And you sort of talked about your... Um, your brand, and, and it sounds like it's so core to who you are. It's been the through line in all of your um, various different roles. I know that you used to travel a ton before the pandemic, yes. and you talked about how you've had moments of pause and reflection previously, but what's this moment of pause and reflection taught you about yourself and about intentionality? Yeah. So, so yeah. So again, I'm not trying to put myself up as a model of perfection. So what I would say is um, this period of pause, I actually really love. And I think all of my friends keep checking in because they don't actually, they're, they're like shocked, right? Everybody thinks I would be climbing up the walls of my home um, because this is, I've been in North Carolina now for 13 years. Um, this is the longest period of time I have spent in my home. And uh, I generally was on a plane, you know, if not more than once a week, you know, certainly every week or every other week. Um, it's a pause that I welcome because it's maybe a period of reflection that I needed that I didn't know I needed, right? Um, life was very busy. Um, I'm responsible for, you know, my, my mother's care at this point, and she is uh, still in Trinidad. Uh, my father passed away two years ago. We're still, you know, settling things from his estate. I had a very busy job when COVID hit. Um, I was very invested in doing that job very well, um, much like I'm invested in doing this job very well. And I probably, um, I'm someone I think that has a tremendous amount of capacity to do things, right? Both at work, outside of work, you know, for my family. But, but every now and then, if you're not careful, no matter how intentional you are, you will, uh, you will stretch yourself beyond what is a acceptable level. I'm glad I didn't actually, I don't think I'd gotten there yet. Um, but I think the pause, like all of a sudden I was like, wow, you know what? I'm glad to not be packing a suitcase all the time. Quite frankly, I have too much luggage because that was one of my strategies was like, just buy more luggage so you don't have to deal with it and pack a new suitcase, right? Like, <laughs> just don't even deal with that. Um, and, and I, but I also just needed time because in the midst of trying to do a lot of these other things, sometimes you lose, you, you, there's too much noise. And so you don't actually hear like, what is it that you want to do right now? 
are you actually still showing up the way you want to show up? Um, might there be other things that have occurred, right? Because particularly when external events are, are driving your activity, right? The, the loss of a, a parent, um, illness in your family, you know, something like that. You, you can get, you can direct so much of your energy there that, and you're busy. So you're, you're just not even paying attention to like what your heart is telling you, you might want to do or need to do. Um, I have not cooked as much. I know I'm not unique in this, but like, I forgot that I actually really love to cook. My significant other loves to cook. So I've never cooked really for him. Um, so he hates that I send him pictures weekly of meals that I'm cooking. Cause he's like, you know what? Uh, and if you haven't picked up, he's not physically here in the same space as me. So, um, so I send him pictures of things I'm cooking. He's like, the next time I come to North Carolina, I'm not cooking. Um, and I'm like, oh, really? Because I kind of like it when you cook. But I've reunited with like the, the joy that that brings me, the opportunity that it gives me to sort of completely disconnect from like the, the demands that are on my time and actually think about like, well, what do you want this meal to be? And right now I'm cooking for just me. So even better right? It is what it's going to be. So. Yeah, I love that. We um, have this similar sort of adage of getting out of the passenger seat and really into the driver's seat. And I think we've probably all experienced moments in our lives where we don't even know how we got to where we are um, because we've been in the passenger seat. And so I love that you're using this moment to just really um, chart the path forward yourself and be intentional for lack of a better word of, um, you know, how you spend your time and your energy right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably contrast that to, um, there was another point in my career where I had a forced pause, although I really created it. Um, so unknown to many, um, had a pretty, you know, some, some people call it my early life crisis. Um, it actually had to do with that very first job uh, or following that person who had hired me. Um, I had worked with them, you know, consistently for eight years. Um, you know, they knew me very well. It, it had become, I'm a pretty loyal person, clearly. Um, and with some of, you know, this relationship I have with Fidelity is, is my sort of, sort of, other than my family, my longest commitment. Um, so, you know, um, but I had been with that group and there were a number of people who knew me from like straight out of college, I trusted them. But I could tell, like I could feel, I couldn't really articulate, but I was ready to, to move, to shift in some way. But I'd never not worked full time with these individuals and I knew they cared about me and they were giving me advice about, you know, my future. And I was uh, really kind of trying to figure out how do I tell them? I don't want to disappoint them. And I've never done something other than actuarial work. So what if I'm, I go off and I fail? But I knew that I, there was too much noise. There were too many voices, too many opinions. Um, and it is a little bit of a luxury that I was able to do this because I was, was single. I had kind of kept my cost low. I had a plan. So I saved up my bonus, just so you know. But I basically uh, took an unpaid leave of absence. And I wanted to get so far away from my normal life um, that I, and I really wanted to go to Brazil. Uh, so that was the other thing. And it was a, so far away and so much I wanted to see that I felt like I, I didn't want to go for a week. 
Uh, so I took, uh, I think it was, it was two and a half months worth of unpaid leave. Um, and I spent almost a month in Brazil. And I had some friends that were working there, but I really was traveling on my, I had another friend that was coming that backed out at the last minute, but I'm like, I'm going. And, um, you know, I, I did a number of fun things, but I did spend, sounds a little crazy, but four days in the Amazon. Um, I wouldn't be able to tell you where I was because I, I mean, it's like, somewhere in a dot on a map. I took a boat, like, you know, craziness. Um, but it was fascinating. All of the people that were there at that week were either on a sabbatical, um, empty nesting parents who were finally, you know, at, at, out, you know, kids were out of the house and they were trying to figure out who they were since they were, that wasn't you know, no longer defining them. Uh, people who had just come out of a divorce. And it was sort of weird, right? Because I really was just like, I just kind of want to figure out who I want to be for the rest of my life. Um, and so, but it was great. Like it literally is the quietest that I think my life has been. Like there's no, like there was satellite phones, right? This is like not joking. Um, but it was just so good to have a period of time just where I could literally connect. When we talk about that real inner child, so now it gets a little weird, right? But I literally could go back to who did Wendy of like tiny little Wendy, not like thinking the world is out there and what do you want to do? Like, what would she do in this moment? And I had actually planned to leave, just so people know, I planned to leave Fidelity at the time. Um, but I'd let a few people know that I really didn't want to leave, and I, but I wanted to do something different. And I was fortunate enough that I knew some people in recruiting. I told them, if you saw something that come across your desk that you thought might be good for me, um, let me know. They sent me a role that honestly, I would not have picked for myself, but I'm so glad that I came back you know, to the US, did a couple of interviews and they, um, they wanted to hire me. And so still in within Fidelity, right? Um, and I ended up not going back to my old group after that leave of absence, it was probably and still is one of the hardest decisions I ever made because it felt like leaving family, right? But it was, I had to pick me at the time, so. That is a fantastic story. Um, and yeah, very brave as one of our um, listeners had just said, but also such an amazing thing that you realized it's something you needed to do and it gave you the space then to figure out what was next. Um, yeah, probably sure that in the 12 months leading up to that point, I, I, uh, I was doing a lot, right? I was doing my job as a consultant. I was helping or leading some of our recruiting efforts. I was involved with many of our sales deals. It's a consulting job, so I was traveling. Uh, I counted it. In the space of 52 weeks, I had done something like 56 trips, including personal travel. Right. I would wake up in hotel rooms and be like, I know I'm in a Marriott, but I'm not sure where I am. That well. Not sustainable, right? Not sustainable. <laughs> Nor is it ideal in any way. But sometimes we find ourselves, so it may not get to that point for someone else, but sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we're just, we're on autopilot. We're, and we're meeting everybody else's expectations. And, and candidly, all of those people had my best interests at heart, but your life, so you have to create the space to, to make it what you want it to be. Yeah. And sometimes it does feel like you have to do something slightly dramatic. It's hard to just make a tiny shift or go in. It's like, I'm going to do something big before, yeah. to make that change. Um, 
Yeah. So clearly you have a ton of confidence. I mean, that move takes a lot of confidence. Um, it, I didn't feel very confident in the moment. Okay. I was going to say, so I want to point that out. Like you it, always feel confident. Yeah. And, or how, how have there been places where you realize you've built confidence over the years throughout your career or personal life? I mean, I imagine that in itself built a whole nother level of confidence, that trip and. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> but we're, yeah. Were you a confident child? I mean, you know, some kids are come out again with a certain level of sort of, I know who I am. I'm pretty confident. Even if that, at some point that gets rattled for everybody, but. Yeah. I was, I was highly encouraged. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, I was fortunate to have, um, particularly my father was very, he was, he, um, he had very traditional value systems about certain things. Um, but, but, you know, so like I wasn't allowed to go out and, you know, play with everyone the way my brother was. So, and we had this house that was like two stories. So I would like literally be on the balcony looking out at my brother, having this wonderful life and thinking, okay, this is really not okay. Um, so that's one, <laughs> but, but, but in terms of what I should think about in terms of, you know, potential, um, that was sort of, um, you know, kind of highly encouraged. And, and that was in not only academics, but in the, in arts. So I played, you know, instruments. I, my next door neighbor was a piano teacher. I did ballet for 12 years. I, my father actually was a languages, um, scholar. So like our table was, our dinner table was horrific actually. Cause you, you had were a Renaissance girl. I, I don't know about that, but I think again, <laughs> think about intention. I, I can reflect now and tell you that that was intentional on his, on his part, right? Um, and, and the reason why I say that is because they were creating an experience for my brother and I that they didn't have, right? And, if I, and now, knowing what I know, right, at the period of time that my parents were in the United Kingdom, that was not like an easy time to be there, <laughs> um, although they never conveyed that to us. And so, um, you know, so that's, that's part of it. I think the other thing is, you know, my mother, um, who inspires me a ton, you know, my mother was the eldest of, of the children in her family. She was smart, but as a girl, as her mother continued to have more children, uh, they took her out of school to help raise her brothers and sisters. And so part of why my mother, you know, got on some sort of steamer and went, you know, I think it's months at that point in time to get to the UK to study nursing is because that was pretty much what was available to her. Um, and she's still one of the smartest people I know, right? Because from a common sense, her appetite for learning, um, just consumption of information. And so I just, um, I'd say, I just was raised with a focus on education, but also like a real healthy respect for, for people who of all you know, backgrounds and what you can accomplish if you're really sort of committed to something and, and committed to continuous learning. Because um, even now, my mother is like a voracious reader, like she's, you know, and she's watching television and she's able to tell me like things I have not watched because I don't have the time <laughs> to watch it. Um, and so I just- Do you have a TV I, now? <laughs> do you have a TV now? I do have a TV now. You chose it. Not a good thing. I watch a lot of trash TV, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Um, I love just the, the legacy that your, your parents both the, intentionally imbued you with um, that I would say from what I know of you, you have that same kind of curiosity and commitment to constant learning as well. Um, so uh, you mentioned your favorite book, um, The Uncharted Path, is it called? The Road well, Less Traveled. So, I have others, just so you know, That's this is an Australian title. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I have areas of opportunity, which is like narrowing things down to one is very hard for me. Just so you know. Right. But so The Road Less Traveled, um, you know, you're in a, a new role now. Um, how, how have you built um, confidence and made potentially... Um, steps in a path where the road ahead isn't charted for you? Um, so I think, you know, for me, I've had a few occasions where um, others have seen uh, qualities in me that I have not been able to see. So, you know, that's why I said, like, I, I, I've done the reflection with myself to know certain things. I don't always... Um, I'm not, it's, it's not that I'm not self-aware. I'm also, I'm, al I'm almost overly self-aware and hypercritical, but there's certain things that I feel like I can't see um, about me and the impact that I have in certain situations or qualities that I bring that others see. And so I, I'm, I've at least been willing to follow the lead of people that I think uh, that I've learned to trust or they bring something forward. I'm like, really? Like, I don't know. Right. But then I just sort of go, well, what do you have to lose Wendy? Right. Like you could stay here and continue to do things that you know how to do that you're comfortable doing. And oftentimes my frame is if I do this and it doesn't work out, can I go back to doing this thing? And if that's the other thing, um, so I'd love to switch the conversation a little and yeah, yeah. A, a big, you know, word out there right now is intersectionality, a lot of discussion and I'm sure it comes up a lot in your new role as well. So could you define what is intersectionality? And then the next part of that question is, and how does it shape and challenge what we face both personally and professionally? Sure. So there's a lot of definitions out there around intersectionality, and I'm deliberately not quoting anyone because I want people to go speak it out for themselves and learn more about it. But, um, you know, so intersectionality is really, it, it, it is kind of what you might visualize. So I'm a highly visual learner. So if you all remember, I did tell you I'm a math major. So if you think of the Venn diagram and you think of those overlapping circles, right? intersectionality is really sort of that manifested in human beings. None of us are just one dimension, right? Um, and so when we engage with individuals, unfortunately, the mind tries to oversimplify, right? It's a shorthand that we all have. And as we're bombarded with more and more stimuli every day on our smartphones and elsewhere television, right? We're trying to, um, sadly, put people in boxes. But the reality is that many of us are indifferent. We're, we, we, we should check many boxes. And so it's important 
like to me at the core of all of those Venn diagrams of, you know, race, age, gender, religion, country of origin, all of these other things that are attributes that are things we didn't choose about ourselves. There's a human being, right? And so I think that like for me, I sort of define intersectionality as um, the reminder to treat people on and, and reflect and engage on many dimensions, not on one only. Um, and it's hard to do. It's harder than just kind of going with the shorthand, which is why we all like the shorthand. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think it, as humans, um, our, our nature is to, what's the simplest path? And it's to put people in a box. We don't even realize we're doing it sometimes. Yeah. So how, in the role that you're sitting now, how do you think that we, um, as fellow humans, can all do our part to create psychological safety, but also to elevate this conversation around identity? Yeah, sure. Because there are aspects of it that are tricky because you're asking people to stop doing the thing that they've always done. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't plan it, but I, I have books next to me when I'm doing my work all day, but you, I, you know, and I don't actually think this is specifically what you asked, but there is a book called The Four Stages of Psychological Safety, Defining the Path to Inclusion and Innovation by Timothy R. Clark. Um, it's a pretty easy read, which I define as it's less than 150 pages. <laughs> um, and there are some key questions and, you know, it's he's part of a learning organization. So I think that's really important. But if, if people are trying to understand like that frame, it's really that, you know, think about times where you have felt like you were brushed off, you were ignored, you know, silenced, or in some way, like, you know, you felt demeaned or humiliated because of something that you did or said, what happens in response to that is we all start to self-edit. We start to self-correct. We censor ourselves. We like literally turn off instincts that we have, right? And so that means that like, that, that is what it, it, to me, it means to like not be bringing your very, very best self to, to everything that you're doing. Because you're, you either read a cue or had an experience that told you that to do so would be to expose yourself to harm. So it's back to that, you know, we all have the flight or fright, right, uh, reaction. So creating that psychological safety is, do you feel included? Do you feel like you're, it's safe to learn? And by safe to learn, meaning can you ask questions that really are intended for you to learn, right? And, and do people reject that or react to that or treat it like it's a bad question? Is it safe to contribute? So can I now volunteer my thoughts <laughs> um, that maybe everybody doesn't agree with? You know, and then finally, like, can you challenge the status quo? That's what it means certainly in the, in the workplace. Um, you know, and I, th I think that it's important if you understand, if you can at least start to think about the fact that, to think of people as a human being. And if we, if we started to just ask um, more open-ended questions, right? Th sometimes what happens is we don't even realize where we're asking questions that in an effort to be inclusive, we actually end up being exclusive. Like we exclude people, right? And my, my, my colleagues and friends in the Pride organization remind us all the time, like someone will be trying to create community and will ask, so, you know, 
no, Kim, tell me about your husband. Well, maybe you don't have a husband. Um, you know, and so now you've said that you feel like, oh, is this the moment? Maybe I wasn't ready to share like, I, you know, but they were asking that maybe because they actually really wanted to tell you about their husband. <laughs> and so I tell people again, the intentionality comes into play. Like, what is the actual thing that you're trying to accomplish? If you're trying to accomplish connection or you want to talk about your relationship, then do that. <laughs> Don't be like covert about trying to create the connection. Um, and if you want to find out if the person has somebody important to them, then ask that question. Noah, who's in your life that's really important to you? You might actually find out more <laughs> than asking this very limited question that, you know, more that allows you to build sort of, you know, commonality. But I would probably be sort of remiss if I didn't share that some people can't get to psychological safety because they're also not physically safe. Um, not necessarily in the, in the workplace, but you know, many people are not actually, their home is not a safe environment, right? So for me and others, my home is my sanctuary. I try to like, you know, I have a diffuser going right now with like my essential oil and I, it's my sanctuary, no bad juju in here, right? But many people, that's not what's actually happening. So to even make the stretch from physical safety to psychological safety in the workplace is, is going to be a different experience for that person. Um, and we should, so we shouldn't assume that everybody is coming into the, the you know, interactions with you from the same starting point, because we're not. Thank you for pointing that out. I think that's a really important distinction and one I truthfully hadn't thought of um, in this conversation. So thank you. Yeah, and I yeah, think no, it's no super important to point that out because even though you might feel like, oh, well, we're all my team, like we all, right, we're sort of in this group. I sort of generally think I know everyone's socially economic status. The reality is it still doesn't mean your home is safe, you know? Yeah, and, and it's not even just about like, you know, even physical safety. So I'll share, I'll share some other things. And, and by the way, like, I am not like sort of some special unicorn. Like I, I attended, I've attended different leadership programs on this learning journey. Um, I had the benefit in North Carolina to participate in a program leadership, North Carolina, that was just so beneficial to me. Um, even as somebody who'd been in the state for a long time to just kind of like really raise, it's amazing how much we exist without being truly conscious of what is happening around us. Right. So a few other things. Uh, like, you know, you think of Maslow's theory, right, of safety, like your definition of safety could be very different from somebody else's, right? And we actually did an exercise. And, you know, for some people, a lot of this is either, it can be cultural, it can be like historical, like passed down from generation to generation. So if you have a family that at some point in the past experienced significant financial loss, your definition of safety might be around finances, right? And you may compromise other things to ensure that you are financially sound. Whatever that other things are, right? That's, your, that's how you might define it, where others define it as physical safety. So you'll find some people are like very focused on making sure I'm going to keep a job, I'm going to keep a steady paycheck. Some people it's like, I need to keep a roof over my head, particularly if you moved a lot in your life. It's just the, like, again, when I, when I think of diversity and everything, I'm a, I'm like, 
it's like all dimensions, all spectrum. Like you just really have to, to be willing to start from, tell me about you and what's important to you. Cause it's different for everyone. Um, and it's the same with like food scarcity. Like we think we pay, you know, like everyone thinks like I, I am comfortable. I can go to the grocery and I can buy what I need, but people don't exist in a vacuum. They're in a family dynamic. They have all kinds of other things going on and priorities that they have to set. So we may pay someone completely fairly, but that doesn't mean that they have the means to provide for all the needs of their family. Um, and so, you know, so we walk around and we have conversations about things sort of based on our frame, which again, just by having that conversation can sometimes be exclusionary Can sometimes tell someone it is not safe for me to talk about the fact that we have this crazy medical bill in my, in my family because so-and-so was sick and now this is a real challenge for me. So I just, I, and I'm not saying we're trying to you know, solve world peace, but I am saying like, if we are trying to invite everyone in, we have to think about like, what is the language we're using? How are we creating that forum for those conversations? And language matters, I think. Just being really, again, <laughs> to use your theme word, intentional about the words that we, we use when we show up. Um, so yeah. again, thank you. So, well, first, congratulations on your, your new role. Um, so as the global diversity inclusion, head of diversity inclusion, what are you hoping to accomplish maybe in the next year and what sort of strategies um, do you think can be adopted for, to create more opportunities for those who might be less represented right now? Sure. So, um, you know, I've been trying to think about, I'm getting this question a lot. I'm just trying to think about um, my role specifically and the best way to create a visual about, about the role. Uh, Cause again, I'm visual, so I'm hoping it might connect with others, but, um, and so it's funny in a prior, in prior roles, we, I would talk about myself as being a conductor in leading the team. Uh, I was the conductor on the train. There's a little bit of a tie in to the book, good to great where he talks about the bus, <laughs> who's on the bus with you. And so we would talk about, you know, on implementation teams. And even when I was a managing director that I was the conductor and I, but I used the train analogy. Um, and so I think whether you use the train analogy here and maybe for the DNI work, it's more about the conductor in a symphony. What I'm really trying to do, everybody has a part to play, right? And Everybody can do that in isolation, but the real magic happens when we're all in harmony. I'm not being like, it, it is a play on words, right? Um, it, it really is about that. There's a synchronicity that has to happen, right? And so, you know, it starts with small steps. It starts with individual players taking the lead, right? I'm there to sort of direct it in terms of the when to amplify, when to tone down, right? And, and, and when we need to be all be in crescendo. Um, I think it's really about right now, helping us all start to figure out where we play best and, and where the opportunities lie to work together in harmony. Um, we've, we, there's a lot of energy and enthusiasm for this work and to try to, you know, um, make 
all of our environments better, right? You're seeing that across all industries and all corporations. Um, we are no different. And, you know, what, what we need, though, is everybody's not at the same place, right? So if you're in that, you know, symphony, everybody doesn't have the same training, hasn't had the same experience. So how do we make it accessible to all and allow people to start from where they are in, the, in, that, in that process and still fulfill potential? That's true both on our associate level, it's true for our managers, and it's true for our leaders. But this whole COVID period, as well as what we all saw on our TV screens or phones in uh, you know, late May, early June, right, has really forced us into a period where everyone is just reflecting, right, on wow, where, like, you know, where am I? And I think a lot of people are like how I was, right? And at that point, thinking about like, okay, do I leave the planet and go to Brazil? Like, like where do I go? Or, or do I stop for a minute and think about what is my voice telling me that I want to do or is the right thing to do right now? Um, how do I want to show up, right? And that, again, I think it's about intentionality. So I really want to help Fidelity be the best that it can be. I think we're a fantastic company. Obviously, I told you I've been committed to it for a long time. But I meet with so many of our, you know, again, diverse associates across a number of spectrums with our employee resource groups, our special interest groups. I see the passion and the energy that they bring. I, I love the diverse perspectives that they bring to the table, things that I have, I'm not thinking about that they're like, you know, we really should consider X. Um, and, you know, I'm just encouraged. I'm like, we need those perspectives at the table. It will make us better. I promise. It will be, it might feel different, right? It might feel like we're like, we're like using our, if we're right brain, it might feel like we're now using our left brain. Like it might feel different, but I, I am convinced that there is, there is like, there's positivity, there's goodness there. Um, and we could be even better, even like we're, we're great already. Right. So it's like, we, I don't know what the other word is beyond that. Great. But like we, you know, it's a superlative of some sort, but we could be so much better. Um, and not only that, but you know, we have customers that we're not fully, um, maybe engaging with, uh, and that where we have opportunity. And that's where I think we have a real imperative to, to sort of focus, um, and learn from our associates, how to serve those customers. We both just at the same time. <laughs> I love the visual of the um, the symphony because it, it is a perfect a perfect visual to describe the the role that you play of just where to turn the music up, you know, turn the music down, and um, and to really harness the the incredible differences within the company. Um, on that note of the the differences and the diversity within the company. How do you think, what are some, you mentioned small steps, small starts, but what are some small steps that um, individuals listening on this call or each of us um, in the roles that we play as conductors of these small symphonies that we're, that we're managing can yeah. do to really um, develop and retain the, the magic of the music that we are um, yeah. conducting? <laughs> Creating together, right? Yes. Uh yeah, I mean, so, so I can't take pride of ownership, as you all know, right? Amy Philbrook, I think, pioneered and um, certainly launched the concept of simple starts. 
um, you know, within our framework um, for DNI, and which is really around small behavioral changes that can have a real tangible impact um, on, you know, our environment. And so um, we have a lot of resources around that, but I really think the critical thing is to start. There's a lot of fear and trepidation around just even getting started and this, this fear of failure or making a mistake um, or not using the right words. I mean, you just have to start somewhere, um, you know, versus not being involved at all and sitting on the sidelines. I just don't think that's an option anymore. Um, and so, you know, some of the things might be, right? Reading that book I just shared around, you know, Timothy R. Clark's book. Um, it might be, you know, um, watching a movie. It might be many things. I would say at a minimum, reach out to somebody very different from you. Um, it might be someone you, we're all sitting in Zoom meetings. It might be someone you hear speak in a meeting that you thought, wow, that was really provocative. I wonder why they said that. Um, reach out to that person. I think, uh, you know, just try to engage with somebody, you know, different from you. Um, and really do that with the intention of learning. Uh, and, and see, change up your diet a little bit. If we were in the office, I would say have lunch with somebody different, um, you know, that you wouldn't normally sit with in the cafeteria. Or if you saw somebody sitting by themselves that, you know, you thought, wow, it's weird they're sitting by themselves. Maybe ask them if it would be okay to sit with them um, and just have an open conversation, right? That's, that's, I think, the beginning. I think if you're a leader, it's a little different. I think if you're a leader, just know that, forget all of the racial justice stuff, but even in COVID times, your employees want you to be vulnerable with them. They wanna know, how are you dealing with it? Uh, if you have kids, are you, like, are you teaching them when you're not talking to us? Like, what, how are you juggling all of those things, right? I just think there's this real, um, a lot has changed in the last, you know, seven, let's call it seven-ish months, six and a half months, um, in terms of what we all maybe need or desire from each other. And, you know, the converse, like, you know, the cat's out of the bag, right? As it really in social injustice, we are now having the conversation and it is in the workplace. So, you know, it's just find your voice and, and think about the words that are comfortable to you um, get on a learning journey around it. Um, think about if you have the opportunity to hire, you know, try to do maybe change up something about your process. Invite somebody else to be part of the panel that you wouldn't normally have. Um, ensure that you're looking at candidates maybe from a different school or different, you know, background than you might normally. You might be surprised that that might be your top pick, right? Um, so I just think there's so many things we have resources available, but, but if nothing else, just start, just do something. That's great advice. Um, wow. This has been an amazing conversation. It's gone, <laughs> gone really quickly. Um, I'm just thinking if we can squeeze one more in one last question in. let's do it. Okay. Uh, I guess adding on to that, do you have any sort of simple starts for thinking about, you know, social distancing is going to continue, people are working remotely for the next nine months? I don't know. We don't know yet. Um, but thinking about being inclusive, 
So you gave a number of them, but really in this remote workplace, I mean, I'm sure most of us are like heads down. How do I get my job done? How do I do if you have children? How do I deal with my children? And art, like, that's a whole other thing to sort of add. Do you have a few thoughts on how to just like think about being inclusive every day or, you know, a couple times a week to really be conscious, whether that's in a meeting or? Yeah, I mean, so I would say a few things. Uh, I know this is hard for everyone. I am a perfectionist in reform. Mm -hmm. I think you take perfection off. I think you take it off the table. Um, I think I probably would, you know, encourage people to take a look at a, a friend of mine's book, Drop the Ball, you know, Tiffany Dufu's book. Um, there are some balls that you can drop right now. Uh, I think it's hard to be all things to all people in this current environment. So um, relieve yourself of that pressure to be, to be good and, and perfect in everything. Uh, I think where you have, uh, you know, in terms of inclusive, inclusivity, um, if we're talking about in the workplace or in these Zoom calls, I would say, I know it's overstimulating sometimes and some of the groups are really big, but if you're leading the discussion at any point, um, if you can, not certainly in this format, but go to gallery view, look at people, scroll through, because there's a lot you can see. And I, I learned that from my days of working with clients and trying to read body language in the room, but I'm always looking in, the, in gallery view. I'm looking to see who unmuted because they didn't say anything, but that's a, a signal that maybe they want to say something and inviting them into the discussion. I look to see who might be slumped today that normally is sitting up, who's not smiling. I mean, there's just a lot of little cues. If you're, re again, this is, you know, intentionality is in everything. And I'm not suggesting that we can all be good at this, but there are little things you could do that just by paying attention to what's happening on the screen right? You, even if you don't address it in the, in the Zoom room, but later you ping the person and you say, hey, you know, are, is everything good? I saw, I noticed today you seemed a little bit off. You'd be surprised the types of conversations that have occurred for me after like reaching out to someone after or in a one-on-one -on -one that I had with them. I said, you know, I know something's up because I saw you in that meeting. You're like, really? They didn't know I knew. Right. And, but it, but it, it goes a long way because it says in that meeting with all those people, you were noted. I'm like, yeah, I, I noticed. Um, I love your comment. on noticing someone who might've unmuted. And even again, if you couldn't get to them in the meeting following up, because it's super powerful be like, I recognize, I think you were going to say something. Is there something else you want to add to the conversation? Even after the fact. Yes. And sometimes I'll, I'll create space for somebody. If there's another dominant voice, and I realize somebody's unmuted, but they haven't spoken. I might say, oh, I think, do you want to say something? Like I'll say, you know, if I know the person is okay being called out. But, but I just would say that's, that's part of your job as the person running the meeting. Absolutely. Well, Wendy, we are at the hour basically. And so I just want to thank you for sharing your music with us and your magic with us for the last hour. Um, some of the things I took note of were one, just start, two, take perfectionism off the table, three, be a learner, four, be intentional, five, start small, and six, 
get out of the passenger seat. And thank you so much. We'll share um, some of our learnings and we'd love to hear everybody else's learnings back in the Kihila platform. Thank you so, so much, Wendy. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Great to be here. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. If you love this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe.